0: Salam and hello, everyone. It's Lily. As you know, we're on a break, but in today's best of series, you're going to hear from Wawira Njiru, the founder of Food for Education. When she was on the show back in January, her organization had fed over 10 million kids since their inception. And since that time, they have hit the 15 millionth mark. Just incredible. Wawira, all of our heartfelt congratulations. We are just so incredibly proud and humbled and moved to to see your work grow and expand. Back in June, Food for Education hosted President Ruto at one of their kitchens. In fact, they have seven kitchens now throughout the country. They have partnerships with the county governments in Mombasa, Moranga, Nairobi to increase the number of kids they're feeding a day. In fact, that number has grown from, I think, around 10,000, which is what we mentioned on the show, to over 140,000 kids a day are being fed through the work of Food for Education. Just incredible. Please check out the show notes. There are ways that you can support their work and make sure that they continue to grow and continue to support these children in the ways that they deserve. So in the meantime, enjoy this episode with while we are in Jiru, the founder of Food for Education.
1: Dad would tell us, like, I wore my first pair of shoes going to secondary school. My right? dad too. That's exactly. Age 15, 16, yes, exactly. The same. Yeah. Do, not have shoes. Yes. I mean, do we have the same dad? I know. I <laughs> will find out. <laughs>
0: Salam, salam, everyone, and welcome to Salaam and Hello, I'm Lily Bakala-Piper, and so happy that you've made time to be with us today. As many of you know, Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia, and many countries in the region are currently in the worst drought of 40 years. The rains have failed, and once again, we are thinking and working towards solutions for millions of families around the region affected by the drought. But it's one thing to think about drought and food insecurity when there is a crisis like we're in right now. It's another thing to be working towards those solutions year-round, 365, 24-7, even when there's not a crisis. Today's guest, in Njiru, the founder, executive director, and all hands on deck of Food for Education, is with us to talk about the ways that her and her team are addressing food insecurity here in Kenya. Food for Education last year served their 10 millionth meal to children in school in Kenya. 10 million, just let that number sink in for a minute. Currently, they feed 95,000 kids a day a meal at school. It's extraordinary, the work that they're doing. And the work that they're doing supersedes the drought. It, it's came before a crisis happened, which is why I think it's the kind of development work that we need more of, work that is grassroots, work that is authentic, work that is born out of a simple desire to meet a need at home. So I could not be more delighted or more proud to welcome Wawira to the show today. She has won all kinds of awards. You've probably heard and seen her on social media and on the news. And I think it's worth noting because she is one of our own and when we get a chance to give someone their flowers, we must do it. So let me just highlight some of the ways that the world has stopped and recognized her contributions. In 2018, she won the Global Citizen Prize for Youth Leadership the first time ever that that award was given. She was presented it at the Global Citizen Festival in Johannesburg, which was honoring Nelson Mandela's 100th birthday. Last year, or actually it's been two years now, we're in 2023, in 2021, she was Kenya's United Nations Person of the Year. And in 2022, she was awarded the Icon Award from the World's 50 Best Restaurants Program. Extraordinary acknowledgements for her extraordinary efforts to feed children in school. Food for Education is an organization you need to know about, and so I am just delighted that while we are joined us today before she hits the road on a basically a world tour of, of sharing her work and doing her work, and before she did that, she joined us here today in Nairobi. So Karibu Wawira, I'm just Thank so honored you. that you're with us today. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, this is very exciting. Thank you so much for being here. So I've, I've given a few highlights of the work that you're doing, but for those who are not fluent in, in the work that you've been doing and the 10 million meals that Food for Education has served, just give us a little bit of what you do and why you started this organization.
1: Yeah, sure. So Food for Education started um, when around 10 years ago now um, and was a passion project for a couple of years uh, because I was 21 years old I, and it was really just a response to kids in the town city, like little town I grew up in called Ruru, um, saying, you know, they're hungry in school. And I asked, I was doing my undergrad in nutrition then, and I sent my parents to the public schools and I said, I want to do something about kids having a good education and enabling them to have good education. um, And maybe I can raise some money in Australia yeah. through friends, And they went to the schools to find out what the biggest problem was. And the schools, four of the schools that they went to, I think at the time, said, all of them said that school feeding was the biggest Mm -hmm. issue. So really, it was born to respond to something. It wasn't a preconceived, you know, this is what children actually need. Obviously, children need food, but I wasn't as aware of it as a big problem as when it was made a big problem by the teachers and them saying that this is the biggest problem because you could do anything in education Absolutely. you could give kids digital tools and things like that so i raised some money in australia and then i started feeding kids um 25 children build a makeshift kitchen and what i'd do i'd just send the money back home and the kids would get fed so it started off really small and it may- remained like that for about four or five years yeah
0: when you say really small for four or five years, 25 kids mm-hmm. per year, kind of small.
1: 25 per day. So okay. it was just 25 kids would come for lunch every day. Okay, It got up to around 50. Okay. Um, so that was a time, you know, I was still in Australia. I was doing my undergrad. I moved back, you know, figuring out what I want to do, you know, try to get a job, you know, you're kind of like, Enrolled in a, a real master's, job. a real job. <laughs> Enrolled in a master's degree, and then decided that I didn't want to do any of it. Um, so that kind of thinking through took about four to five years, plus finishing my degree. Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: actually glad to, for you to say that the four to five year part. I think mm-hmm. so many of us are looking for that quick fix. Yeah. For young people who are listening today, they're going to feel like you know they need to go out there and do it right away. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that you let something kind of simmer mm-hmm. for a time. When was the next big leap? Um, Mm. You know, when did that start to scale up a bit more?
1: Yeah, so I remember um, around 2015, I started thinking, you know, this can be like, what should I be doing? Um, Should I work on this full time? Should I do something more you know, scale this because the need was big. Hmm. So whether you're feeding 50 children, teachers would come and say, can you expand? Can you feed 100? Of and i say, I don't have money to do that. Like, I'm raising money. To How were you funding it up to that point? Through friends. Okay. So it was just, you know, I'd do Facebook campaigns, you know, I would message, we had some few monthly donations. So it was small enough to sort of sustain through the network of people I knew at the time especially those in Australia who would become friends. So I, I, when I lived there, I did like some speaking engagements in churches and things like that. So it was just basically small, but very meaningful contributions from people to be able to sustain the work as was, as it was. Um, and so in a, 2015, 2016, the need is huge. You know, you just keep getting the same um, requests. Oddly, it's never stopped. Like Mm -hmm. the requests have never stopped, but um, the you know kind of like trying to figure out what should I do? What should I do about this? I have this thing. It's either you get to a point where it's either you kind of go on it full time, or you figure out what is you know really doing it look like, or you sort of let it continue continue to be a small thing and a passion project, and you find like a real job. There's a lot of pressure also from my parents because I've just come back with this degree and they're just like, well, you're living at home. What are you doing? So I had to really figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah.
0: And, and what made it, what made you decide to do it?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, one of the things was that, um, I remember we hosted a fundraiser once and, um, there's this person who donated, 250,000 shillings. It was just an event and they donated, not many people came, but they donated 250,000 shillings. Um, His name is actually Kev Muley. He's Kenyan. And I couldn't believe someone gave us 250,000 shillings. (laughs) I was just like, for this? Like, (laughs) why would you put, it was so much money, right? And I was just like, how can you give 250,000 shillings to this? And I was like, can this be a real thing? Um, And so... It wasn't that we had, I mean, people used to give like $1,000 or something like that. But I think it was like one of the biggest gifts we'd ever received at the time. But also that a Kenyan had done it. And it was like, you know, you kind of feel like, wow, this is something I can do. This is something that can be done, that should be done. So that was one of the things that helped um, kind of push me in that direction of figuring out how can this be full time? The other thing was finding a model that I thought could be interesting, the central kitchen model. So at that time we were still like feeding around 50 children um, and they were all coming to this little kitchen and eating there uh, that was near one of the schools. And so one of the biggest questions I had is if we went to other schools, how would we do it? So I found a model on YouTube actually in India that feeds 1.8 million children. And that organization is incredible. We've actually become partner organizations over the years. But like watching their YouTube videos just made me think, wait, what if we had a central kitchen? And then we distributed food to schools. So that's really like something, finding a model and finding like our traction towards fundraising was some of, I think, two of the key things that made me feel like maybe I could do this. And so how I took the leap was just um, started to, Kind of, I mean, I used to talk about it all the time to everyone to raise money, but then started like applying for grants, got a lot of rejections, but you know, just kept going and and said, this is what I want to do. I want to give it a shot. Of course, you know, like my parents were like, you shouldn't do this full time. You should find other things. You know, they were like, I know this person who can give you a job at this place or this place. Of course. Um I worked three months at Unilever, you know, trying to be like, this is the perfect food science <laughs> yeah. and nutrition job. Um, and then I, it, I was just, the more, the first grant we got, which is around like early 2017 or 2016, I, I don't remember well. Um, that was a f- time I was like, oh, wow, now we can actually do this. Yeah.
0: So let me ask you a little bit. I want to dial back to your parents a little bit because you've talked about um, in other places where I've read your story that, Mm -hmm. you know, your parents themselves, when they were growing up, did Mm -hmm. not have a lot of means. Yeah. That they worked really hard to put you and your sisters through school Mm -hmm. to provide for you, to make sure you had solid education. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a similar story. Mm -hmm. My parents grew up very poor and, and my dad often... We would laugh, you know, he'd say, you know, if they had a meal a day, if they had two Mm. meals a day, like how lucky the days were when Mm. they had two, because most of the time it was just one meal a day growing up in very rural Ethiopia. Um, Tell me kind of how that, living with the story of your parents Mm. and kind of what they went through and then yourself having the opportunities that you did, you know, how you marry those two and inspiring your work and carrying it forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for many people like you shared that grow up in our African household, you always hear the story of like, you know, like my dad would tell us, like, I wore my first pair of shoes going to secondary school. My right? dad is exactly. yes, the exactly. Same. Yeah. Do, not have shoes. Yes. Are, do we have the same dad? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I will find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, having that and then having like, you know, when if they'd get food because they were farmers, subsistence farmers, if they were if they had food they'd have to share it he had seven siblings they'd have to share yes. it you know and so each person eats a little bit um and you know he used to go hungry and my mom also she grew up more urban poor so she grew up um in slums also had the same sort of you know insecurity around education and around food and, but for both of them they actually met in college and for both of them the, their parents and Their families had struggled so much to put them through education. So I grew up with a really big framing of like education is so powerful because that's how, you know, we're able to feed you guys. We're able to kind of have a home and things like that. So when I started trying to make an intervention in schools, the education piece was sort of the priority. I wanted to give kids the ability to learn better. The same way my parents had been given. It just happened that the biggest problem they had, and they continue to have, is food, and that was affecting their ability to learn and stay Absolutely. in school. Yeah,
0: it's um, yeah. I, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's really kind of beautiful to hear you tell that story because one of the things I've been thinking about is is over the 10 years that Food for Education has grown, how much you have to tell this story. <laughs> um, I've worked in development myself for a long time, but, but not in the role that you've been, which is, you know, kind of sharing the story, having to raise funds and, mm-hmm. and, and telling that story with dignity mm-hmm. and um, with the joy mm-hmm. that you have mm-hmm. for, for the work that you do. Um, I just want to talk about that for just a quick moment. You know, how do you, how do you tell that story while we were, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years on, I'm so struck by how young you are. <laughs> so just truly from my heart, you know, well done to you. You make me you. so proud. Um, I could just cry, honestly, yeah. thinking about um, all that you've done, but how do you tell that story in mm-hmm. a way that continues to honor your parents, mm-hmm. continues to honor this place that we love. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, you have to tell a hard story mm-hmm. about poverty and it's, how insidious it is. It's not glamorous. Mm. And yet there's so much joy in the story of our parents' upbringing. Yeah. And we take pride in their strength. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the storytelling that's involved in your work. Yeah.
1: I think that, I mean, one of the conscious things that we've done is we don't show, for example, hungry children. So you Thank show you. children Thank you know, you for after, that. like when they're happy, even if they're in a the lunch line waiting for food. You know, you ask them, you know, after because yeah, we get consent for the photos like can you smile for the photo not you know so sad they're so hungry um and so the I mean I think that the stories of my parents the stories of my life is a story of really opportunity and how powerful giving someone an opportunity is and that's what I feel like my parents like my mom was got a random stranger to sponsor her through high school and that is the reason why she was able to finish high school so it's Not that they were so poor they couldn't afford high school, but what a great thing that, you know, someone sponsored her to to finish high school. And so when I view my work and I view the story of my work, it's a story of like giving people opportunities to sort of, and children in particular, to improve their lives. And that is only a happy story. So when you give someone an opportunity, it's not like, here's an opportunity, let's cry. It's like, wow. Absolutely. Yeah, let's be happy. So that and I, and i think that that's something that i think when i look at the work and i look at the storytelling that's involved sometimes you know you you kind of people have the expectation that you're going to tell the sad story but the more you find that you tell the story through a joyous lens i find that people relate more to that yeah
0: yeah thank you for that i i just reminds me of one of my life mantras which is talent is universal mm-hmm. but opportunity is not yeah and so through that joyous story you're bringing more justice to mm-hmm. the communities and the places that you love which is what all of us can do yeah i mean you are so young again you started this work when you were so young you took a need you looked at it you asked the people who were there the mm-hmm. teachers the students what do you need most we need food and so you address that need and um it's making such a huge difference now um so let, let's talk a little bit how, about how Food for Education has grown. Um, mm-hmm. So you make this big leap, you invest, you start to scale it. The work really starts to grow. In 2018, you win this Global Citizen Prize, mm-hmm. and you start to include a bit more technology into mm-hmm. the work that you're doing. Tell us about how you're using technology and local markets to kind of scale the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so um, in, around 2018, when we won the Global Citizen Prize, we were feeding around 2,000, 3,000 children. And one of the key things that we had so that we introduced in around 2017 was that parents would contribute for the meals. Uh, and that was also a conversation with parents, understanding like how much they were spending on lunch and how much they would likely want to contribute for the, they could afford. And made it like a survey of, you know, the sort of, a a wide scale of parents understanding their income levels and understanding how much they could afford. And they said they could afford 15 shillings. And that's how, what they were typically spending for, you know, what they were buying for their kids, which is like, you know, a drink and like amandazi or something like that. And so we said, what if we could offer you a full lunch at that price? So when we introduced that in around, I think it's My years are mixed up. 2016, 17. (laughs) Um, We collected that 15 shillings as cash. So the kids would bring the money to school. Um, Sometimes, you know, they'd need change or it would get stolen. There were just like so many issues. And so what we needed to figure out was a way to collect that money to allow parents to contribute. Because I really believe in, you know, first of all, like I was like, I'm not rich. I can't feed all these kids for free. They need to help in terms of covering the cost, but also I feel like there is a dignity in involving people and saying, you know, I see what you have and I can find value in that and I can give you value for that. Um, And so the f- the technology was developed as a payment system so first of all i am not a technology person so i knew nothing about technology however i knew about bus tickets and metro cards and what metro cards were interesting to me was that how fast everyone got on the train <laughs> uh, and really like just got on the train really fast. like it's yeah. rush hour you're getting in like exactly. a metro card or something like that so i said um to like our team then and said what if we had a metro card but for food but topped up with M-Pesa and everyone was like, that's weird. And <laughs> <laughs> that's not realistic. And so it took us a while to find because we didn't have a tech team. So to find like an outsource partner, a company we could work with who actually understood the vision. You know, we went to different companies that had different solutions. And there were so many like hurdles of like to be used by children, so not adults. To right? be topped of up to Of course, because your kids
0: are, these are primary school kids. Yes, right? primary so school. From five,
1: six yes. to. Even three, because it starts wow. at kindergarten. Okay. So to be used by very small children um, and then and older children, but then still children who don't have phones and their parents have ways to understand how their children are eating uh, and then to be very fast. So because one of the biggest challenges we had was. The speed of like the cash someone would bring, then you need change, and then you know it's like a whole thing. Yeah, Yeah. so it needed to be really fast. So, when we're feeding around 3,000 children, we won the Global Citizen Prize. It was just an idea then. We're so lucky that they took the, um, the chance. Actually, the prize is open right now for anyone who wants to apply. The application process, anyone who wants to apply. It's um, still $250,000, mm-hmm. which was really significant for us. Um, it's still significant. And so, um, when they gave us the prize, the first thing was to figure out how to do it. And so, then we introduced NFC payments, so mobile payments that are linked to NFC. So, essentially, What's NFC, NFC is um, like your credit card technology. Okay. So, you can just tap. The yeah. same way you tap at a gro- you can tap at a grocery store. Okay. Um, so we in- needed to tweak a little bit. So so that I don't go into too much detail. But we needed to tweak it a little bit where it doesn't have like if you tap your credit card, you have to put in the pin. So sure. children don't have, you know, a, a pin, they, they they can't remember. So it right. needs to be very seamless for them. So we developed that as a way to enable kids to eat more and in a year, we moved from like three thousand to ten thousand children because of that technology, because of how seamless. So a parent just goes registers on a USSD, which is star something something hash, mm-hmm. and then they top up, um, and then they consider consistently top up however much they want to top up so there's no limit in how much you want to top up and their parents their kids just withdraw that when they come to school
0: and they wear like a bracelet I think yeah and I they said, wear the right? bracelets yeah. yes and they just tap that every time they get to yes. school with yes. your team who's yes. there delivering yes. the food yes exactly
1: okay. and so that has enabled us to scale massively uh because it enables us to kind of have a very rich data set of like how we're providing meals to have correct predictions and to have really low wastage so our wastage is you know under two percent just because of our ability to sort of make sure that we're serving meals consistently but also we're predicting the amounts very well um and then from a sourcing perspective we're now expanding our technology to enable us to Source better and to be able to work with a wider range of farmers and suppliers.
0: And you're working with farmers and suppliers in Kenya?
1: Yes, in Kenya and the region.
0: Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us where Food for Education is working right now. You started in mm-hmm. your hometown, is yeah, that right?
1: Yeah, in Riru, yeah. And
0: tell us where you are
1: now. Yeah, so we started in Riru, now in Juja, which is another town, um, Kiambu, Benkisumu, and Mombasa, and my Nairobi. And Moranga. I always forget Moranga because oh. it's newer.
0: <laughs> yeah, Moranga is close to my heart. Yeah. yeah. Right around
1: the corner. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, my daughter started a, a menstrual health program there in 2015. Oh, nice. So we've been going to Moranga since then. And oh, that's very a beautiful, beautiful community. That's beautiful. beautiful yeah. All those yeah. farms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you get you're scaling, you're growing. Tell me what it means. I think in, uh, I can't remember what year either now, maybe it's 2019 or so, you you hit this 1 million meal mm-hmm. mark. What, what did that milestone mean to you?
1: Um, it meant, it meant a lot because like, I mean, when I started Food for Education, the goal was to start with 25 and get to 100 kids. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, so it was just <laughs> like, this is my really big, hairy, ambitious goal. Uh, is to get to 100 100. kids yeah 100 (laughs) kids and so getting to a million in 2019 it felt really good it felt like it's you know it made up a huge difference and it felt good but it also felt hard because I feel like a lot of times people accomplish goals and the number is great but then the effort that it's taken to get to that number is actually also significant and a lot of failures a lot of rejections a lot of mistakes, you know, a lot of things that um, I, I had to learn from really quickly. And so it felt good and it felt hard, but the, that's the journey. Yeah.
0: So I, I didn't ask you this ahead of time or I didn't prep you for this question, but I hope you don't mind maybe sharing what some of those failures or mistakes are, you know, if you, if there are other young people who mm-hmm. are, or, or old people like myself who are <laughs> thinking about, you know, change and grassroots movements and how to make an impact You know, what what did you learn that didn't work? Or what did you learn from those mistakes along the way?
1: Um, So, first of all, um, I'm going to quote Rihanna and be like, "Never a failure, always a lesson. (laughs) Because I always think that, like, I mean, it's failures because you're just like, shit, I shouldn't.
0: That's okay, girl. I shouldn't have done that. that. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. You gave us a more edgy feel (laughs) to our podcast.
1: (laughs) I shouldn't have done that. But when you think about it, like six months down the line, you're you say, oh, wow, I learned so much from that. So that's, yeah, yeah. So um, give us an example. Yeah. So one of the things actually is, so in 2000, I, I, I'll get my years wrong. But at the beginning, like maybe two or three years after the 2012, I've started our food delivery business and the food delivery business was uh, supposed to raise funds to cover the meals that we were distributing and it was called it was a great business it was called double potion and i put a lot of effort into like setting it up so first it started as a restaurant okay run a restaurant learned a heap a ton about running a restaurant which is very tough and then became a delivery business so i literally used to deliver the meals get, got buddha buddhas and learned a lot about managing um buddha buddhas and that yeah um kind of like fleet of production but the meals were different because it's for like people in their offices so the meals are not the same meals that you're cooking for kids um they're sort of more boutique type uh, meals um and so we ran that for a couple of years and closed it in 2018 and the reason why we closed it was actually closed it in the month of the highest revenue Hmm. uh, because We did, so we'd been running this business for many years. And then I remember someone told me like, you should just do an an analysis of how much money you would make from this business at scale. So if it grew to the wildest dreams of like the market size, so don't make up a market that doesn't exist. So (laughs) if all the office people, let's say in Nairobi, however many they are, ordered from you and who can afford this price point, it was around like maybe 250 shillings. Uh, if all of them ordered, how much money would you make and how many meals from ki- of kids would you subsidize? So we did that analysis and the number was 40,000 meals for kids. But the goal in my head, though we were at around 2,000, 3,000, I was like, and it's always been the goal is a million kids a day. So the question I had to ask myself is like, would I put an effort in something that feeds 40,000, yet the goal is a million so it doesn't really make sense because yeah, then you the numbers you're, didn't add up exactly. Yeah. So I I had to make a decision to close down the business um, because I felt like it didn't really even at it, its fullest potential. And growing up business is tough. So that there would be a lot of effort that it needed to get to that of course level of subsidizing forty thousand meals. And so the question was, can you do both, or should you just focus on the feeding kids and trying to make it as efficient and as cheap and scale it as fast as possible so decided to close that business and I think when I look back like that was one of the hardest decisions I had to make because um not many people understood and you know also talking to a team that had put in a lot of effort and saying like you know you have to be redundant you know and doing that whole entire process um that wasn't easy so
0: yeah but now for for education itself, I mean, you have a pretty big team. Yeah, I'm tell us you, you have over around two hundred staff who are now working.
1: No, we have seven hundred.
0: So seven hundred. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, these the numbers are just extraordinary.
1: <laughs> they, change the yeah, they change all the time. Yeah, they change all the time. We
0: were talking about this kind of before we we got on air that. Um, you're now feeding about ninety five thousand kids mm-hmm. a day and growing. Yeah, gro- numbers growing. Seven hundred staff. These you have these kitchens. I read that you cook mostly at night, so that mm-hmm. that of course they have to deliver to the kids mm-hmm. during the early day. Early in the morning, early yeah. in the morning, get to the schools on time because now you're delivering to the schools mm-hmm. that you are, that you mentioned earlier where you are. Um, the the goal is a million kids a day is what mm-hmm. you're aiming to. What, what's it going to take? Do you think to get to that that number?
1: um a lot of hard work <laughs> um and so right now like next year we are oh, which is this year yeah uh, 2023 <laughs> we're looking at moving from 95 to around conservatively around 200,000 kids um so doubling um just over doubling this year um, and so it's going to take, you know, a lot of setting up more kitchens and now we're going more into working with governments. So county governments, okay. um, and consistency governments and the national government to provide meals across the country. So we're just signed a partnership with Mombasa County, for example. Um, and we're signing one with other counties, um, with two other counties to deliver meals, um, across Across the country, and so across those counties, and eventually the goal is to get more around the country. So it's going to take, you know, setting up more infrastructure, setting up bigger teams, um, and it's ensuring that we're able to cook and produce and distribute those meals, and then also more partnerships across the country. Yeah.
0: So let's let's talk about that as you're scaling, as you're growing. While you're doing that, we're also in the context of this this heartbreaking drought. Of inflation that is higher than we've seen in, yeah. in years, um, you know, we're facing food crisis just from the war in Ukraine that has just, you know, devastated some of the markets here. How is that affecting your business? Not to mention that we're, we're not even out of COVID really, but, mm. you know, during COVID, you also had to pivot. So talk about how you as a, an organization that is meeting a humanitarian need can continue to function in the middle of other crises that are happening, mm. you know, around you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that's usually challenging for us is, you know, when you're working in the food space and the needs are growing, so there's inflation, there's a drought, there's a lot of tension to expand and to kind of like move to other regions because the the demand becomes higher in terms of, you know, people in this region are facing a a specific drought, you know, and there's need to provide to that. And so, and also with inflation inflation has really affected our food prices so you know we've seen like let's say maize prices right. um almost double um because of the current you know oil prices the way the supply of the country is in terms of low supply within the country because of the drought and then also because of um the war in ukraine and the uh, the inflation across the across the world and so You know it's driven up our cost per meal so we monitor closely our cost per meal and also you know ingredients like let's say rice at some point was like 75 percent higher than we'd buy it for maize is one of the most significant increases which affects everyone in the country and so that means that there's a lot of more pressure on us because the meals that we provide are subsidized so the parents are only contributing 15 shillings but we subsidize the cost of that meal so if the cost of food is higher it means our subsidy must be higher because we don't want to push that cost of uh, yeah. the increase to parents who are also struggling. Of course. Yeah because of inflation like if it's harder for us to provide the meals it's harder for them to provide meals to their kids. Of course. Um and so navigating how to manage those costs and how to kind of make sure that we are um, efficiently set up. So we've invested in warehousing. We've invested in, you know, better supply chain systems so that we can buy in bulk when f- cheap food is really cheap. But then even navigating cheap is not like, you know, someone's not going to come and say rice is cheap today. It's going to <laughs> yeah. go higher yeah. tomorrow. So you constantly have to have your ear on the ground and monitor and kind of really build out a team that, is able to buy at the right time yeah well, what
0: do parents pay now for the meals 15 shillings still 15, still 15, shillings. 15 shillings yeah I mean, uh, that's amazing yeah. i mean seriously god bless you for that that's extraordinary that they're still paying that 15000 even in the midst of all these these pressures mm. on you to to as you're scaling and the and the crisis around you um so l- l- as we just kind of wind up i'm you know as we think about the story of this grassroots movement um you know, one of the things that strikes me about living in Kenya as an Ethiopian is just it's such a dynamic space. In Nairobi, there's so many things happening between tech and art, and it's just, there's always something. And, and that includes the, the social impact uh, mm-hmm. space. So tell me, what do you think you and your fellow, you know, humanitarian, uh, humanitarians and activists, what, what do you have to teach others in the region? Um, mm-hmm. I think there's so much happening that's right, that we don't always yeah. f- focus on. There's so much, it's easy to see what's going wrong. But I'd love to hear from you, you know, what are you learning? What are you seeing that you think Kenya might have to offer the world mm. on, on what's going well in the grassroots social movement space?
1: Yeah, I think that some of the things I've seen is like there's a lot of innovation on how to solve problems um, in Kenya and across the continent. Um, you know, I remember there was an organization that I was, someone was telling me has primarily worked um, on the continent. is. is providing mental health services Mm. and is now moving into the U.S. to provide mental health services. So that's the opposite of what we expect development to look like is that, you know, it comes from the U.S. to here. But now we're developing innovations and we've had, you know, a lot of requests of can you bring this to our country, mostly around the continent, but even across the world, um, especially through our technology and through other systems that we've developed to be able to become more efficient. I think also what i would you know tell people who are sort of starting out or what i've seen um social entrepreneurs as is there's so many incredible women and so many incredible people who are from kenya who are developing solutions for kenya so there's um a lot of people who you know, like Charlotte from Mukuru, Mukuru Stores, who just won the AdShot Prize. And it's yes. Nelly, who just won CNN Heroes for her work, are providing technology services to kids. And so there is a lot of innovation and it's being recognized um, across the world. But also it's not starting from like, you know, I want to start an idea so that I win this prize. It's starting from I saw a need you know if you hear their stories if you hear a lot of people it's i saw the need it was in my community or in the place that i was living in and i thought why don't i try and solve that so i think that for a lot of people who are thinking should i do something i think you know for me it wasn't like oh i'm gonna start an organization that will feed a million children that happened you know the dream started formalizing as i was doing it but the first thing was like Mm -hmm. well I have money to feed. I can raise money. I didn't even have it myself. I can hustle my friends to raise money to feed 25 children. And so that's the need I'm going to meet. So don't think that you have to start really big or have to start with like so much. You just have to start where you're at. Yeah. With Absolutely. what you have. Yeah.
0: Thank you for that. So I'd like to close my show by asking my guests. Uh, oh, before I do that, actually, lest I forget where we are. How can we follow you on social media? How can we support the work of Food for Education? Make sure our listeners know both those things.
1: Yeah, so you can support or see our work at www.food4education.org.
0: Okay, foodforeducation.org. And they'll find everything there. Yes. How to support, how to get involved. Yes. If you're local, there's ways to get involved. Local, beaning Kenya. If you're international, there's ways to support mm-hmm. and get involved as well. Yes. How about on social media? How can they find you?
1: Uh, We're food, the number four education on... Um, everything. On everything. Yeah.
0: You've kept it very nice and simple. Well done. I, me, yeah. I'm like trying to get to that point. You are. <laughs> so
1: well done for that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So as we close, I always love to hear from my guests, you know, two questions, you know, what's bringing you joy? Mm-hmm. What brings you joy? And I like to ask people what their favorite drink is, but because you're in the food space, maybe mm-hmm. you can tell us your favorite meal, including that what is the meal that Food for Education provides for kids every day?
1: Yeah, so we um, what's bringing me joy? I think this year is bringing me joy. I'm very excited um, and a little scared, but (laughs) more a little more excited um, about the year and the plans that we have, and you know our team and the scale up, and also to find other things to you know explore, other things about myself and to continue growing as a person and as a leader. Um, The thing that I like to the kids, what they eat is most, you know, it's either maize beans and vegetables or rice beans and vegetables or rice and lentils and vegetables. They serve fruit. So it's a more varied yeah. diet. My favorite food, actually, I'm very simple, is just ugali and skumawiki and wow. beef stew. Yeah. That really is the most uh,
0: Kenyan answer. Yeah, so you exactly. Could give- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so now what's your favorite beverage then? So you gave us the most Kenyan <laughs> Basic, meal ever. Yeah. Oh, us, I need to find uh, a your good favorite beverage. beverage. Not chai.
1: What's your oh, favorite so, beverage? It's yeah, actually chai. Okay,
0: okay.
1: Um, <laughs> I was gonna say chai, A uh, masala chai, A yeah, <laughs> masala tea. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. yeah, with oh, lactose free milk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> with a twist. Yes. yes, masala chai with a twist. I like yes, it. Yes. It's been only a pleasure to have you here. You have taught me, you have inspired me, you have moved me, and um, you've given us all, I think, a challenge to think about what it is I need right where I am that I can do my little thing to um, respond. That's what Wangari Mathai taught us, right? Let me be a hummingbird, let me do my little thing. Mm -hmm. And um, you're doing that every day for 95,000 plus kids a day. Bravo. Thank you. God bless you. you. Thank you so much for being on Salam and Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listeners, you've heard so much. I hope that you will follow Awira's work and Food for Education. Um, She's giving you all the handles, the website. There's always something that we can do wherever we are. And if you're looking for a place to get involved here in Kenya, I hope you will check out the work that they're doing. And if you're listening from abroad, check them out as well, because there's always something that we can do. And next week, we have another fantastic guest. So tune in, salam and hello. And we'd love to hear from you as well. So at salamandhello on all the social media platforms or salamandhello.com. Peace.